0: Third part in our spheres of worship series that we started two weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> so let me pray for us, Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord's Day—a day of rest and worship, a day of fellowship, a day that we can pull away from the cares of the world and all the burdens of life and all of the weariness, and and we can have our souls fed by the One who said, "Come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me." For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us rest today. We pray that you would help us to sit at your feet and listen to your word and to have that one thing necessary. We pray that you would revive us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would heal us by the scriptures. We pray that you would instruct us and teach us. We pray that this would be a time of great benefit for us. We pray that you would be worshipped and glorified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 10, I'm just going to read this to us again. This is the third installment in our spheres of worship, and we're looking at private worship. And what I want to do today is give you some very tangible thoughts on devotionals, how to benefit from them, how to use them, uh, which ones to avoid, which ones you might benefit most from. Um, and so reading Luke ten thirty eight. <clears throat> Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. We've looked at this passage over the last two weeks, and we've looked at some of the facets of it and nuances of it. And the reason I keep coming back to this is I think it's arguably the most important passage in Scripture about private devotion or private worship. Um, It's not service first it's being served by Jesus first. We said that last week that um, right before this passage you have the Good Samaritan and everyone wants to rush to let's get serving, let's get doing, shut the Bible, get doing. And then right after Jesus gives the account of the Good Samaritan, we have the account of Martha and Mary. And Martha is cumbered with serving and Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet. And Jesus tells us it is more important to sit at his feet and feed on him. And actually, there's a play on words. uh, Martha is in the kitchen. She's making a meal. She's torn in every direction the Greek would have it. She's pulled every way, making this meal. And Jesus plays off of that and essentially says, I am the portion. I am the meal. That's very intentional in the text. Mary is feeding on me. And I think foundational to anything that we say about private devotions is, it is a personal feeding on Jesus Christ through the means that he has appointed. So you could read the Bible till you're blue in the face, and if you do not feed on the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ by faith, you have not not had a good private worship experience. You can read the Bible legally, you can read it in the flesh, you can read it for personal change, but if it does not bring you to Jesus Christ, then you have not had a proper private worship experience. Um, I think that that's what's so important about this passage is that it really tells us that feeding on Christ is at the foundation of private worship. And that means whatever we do privately in calling on God the Father, in praying in the Holy Spirit, in putting ourselves under all the means that he's given us, the goal is to see Christ by faith. It is to feed on Christ by faith. It is to commune with Christ by faith. Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me and you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. And so foundational to all true worship, is coming to Jesus Christ. I love in First Peter where um, Peter says coming to him as to a living stone, that the crux of true worship is coming to Jesus Christ by faith. It is pouring out our hearts before him. It is calling on him. It is fixing our eyes on him. The writer of Hebrews will repeatedly give us that emphasis. He'll say, consider him. He'll say, we see Jesus. And then in chapter 12, he'll say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so whatever we do in private family or public worship, Jesus Christ should be at the center. And so when we come to talk about Um, things that God has given us, and helpful tools in um, private devotions. And we've already talked about kind of principles. We we talked about those 12 principles about getting the most out of the scriptures. Um, I hope they're helpful to you. I wanted to talk to us this morning about the use of devotionals. When I was a boy, um, my dad always read to us out of something called the Daily Light. I'm going to argue that I think it's the most important devotional you could ever use. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a bit skeptical of it, which I find interesting, because he felt as though it didn't help you um, read the scriptures in context well enough. I'm going to argue for the benefit of the Daily Light. If you don't use that, I'm going to encourage you to get a copy of it. Um, Crossway publishes a really nice version, ESV version. Whitaker publishes a really nice New King James version. But I'll hopefully, here in just a little bit, explain to you how it works, why it's so valuable, but he had um, my dad had had seen his one of his seminary professors reading this little black book for years, and um, and he was a great scholar and and my dad went up to him and said you know every year I see you every time I come to class you're reading this little book what is it and it was the daily light um, Billy Graham his granddaughter granddaughter and Graham lots I think it's granddaughter daughter has done a preface to an edition of this and said that her dad read this to them growing up. Um, There were not many days I don't remember my dad using this in family worship. After I was converted, the daily light became a huge theological tool in my life um, and still is to this day. Probably helped me learn the scriptures as I read them or listen through them better than than any other devotional so I would I would highly recommend this we're gonna walk through that in a second let me say this first Lloyd-Jones somewhere criticized I heard it in a sermon once criticized the Daily Light and said the problem with it was that it didn't teach you to read the scriptures in context and we talked about the importance of context right context 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 studying the text in context is really everything the Holy Spirit has inspired the words of Scripture in in the order in which he inspired them. Um, R.L. Dabney said that it's a dangerous thing to put into the mouth of the Holy Spirit words he did not speak. And what he means by that is twisting the Scripture to say something that it wasn't the intent for it to say. Um, one of the best tools for private devotion, and it's something I used to use a lot when I was younger, have started to again recently, is... Listening to the Bible on audio. I mean, we have enormous privileges with all the technology we have. Um, I was a brand new convert out of a lot of spiritual darkness, and my best friend Stephen, who some of you met, he came and picked me up in Asheville, North Carolina, moved me to Greenville, South Carolina, got into his truck, and he had um, the Book of Revelation playing on tape, and I was like, this is weird. This is really weird because I'd never experienced, I'd never met someone driving down the highway and listening to the Bible, let alone anybody I had hung out with for like 10 years. And it was was an interesting experience to me because what I started realizing was uh, Stephen had become so spiritually minded because he was just filling his mind with scripture constantly. He was listening to the Bible constantly when he drove places. Now, some of you don't have long drives to work. You have short drives you can still listen to easily three, four, or five chapters in like 10 minutes. Um, There are so many resources for that. I think it's one of the best ways to familiarize yourself with scripture and for that to really become a part of you. Um, Men, if your wife has had a hard week and you really want to serve her and clean the house on Saturday, you could do so and you could listen to the Bible while you do that. That would be a good... That would be a good use of uh, multitasking. Um, I've learned that's some of the best ways to have God's Word when you have a busy schedule. Be listening to the Scriptures. Um, Bible Gateway. I don't know if y'all use that. They just redid their site. Has phenomenal tools. And if you notice here, the ESV. If you pick um, the English Standard Version, they have a little audio button right there, and. So, I mean, if you have the internet in your house, which you should, because it's the 21st century. Um, 10, and if you don't, it's just weird. Um, others and sent them but you can do continuous two, play, into every t- which is really nice. So the other day I was laying in bed, and I just listened to most of Genesis, just putting it on continuous play. So it's a great way for you to be filling your minds with scripture. Max McLean is really dramatic. You can see in this list that drops down, there are other speakers and other versions of the Bible. Sadly, there's not a New King James version. Thomas Nelson got greedy, and so we don't have one. Um, Shame on them. So if you're used to the New King James, I would recommend that you use the ESV and probably Max McLean. If you're really into the KJV, you got Max McLean and others, too, and I would steer away from just about anything else, especially the NIV. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, NAS is a good. So let's talk for a minute about Bible translations. Um, if I just offended you because you use the NIV, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the, the the not inspired version. Um, the best the best translate. And here's what I usually say: Number one, read a Bible. So if you've been reading the the, the NIV, good for you. Keep reading the NIV. <laughs> if you've been reading the Message, mm, you might want to get the NIV. Um, <laughs> Whatever you memorize scripture in the most as a young Christian is probably what you should stick with. So my dad, as many of you perhaps, grew up with the King James. And so my dad, he likes the new King James. I mean, my dad is more of a scholar with Bible translation things, so he understands differences. But the King James is a very fine translation. If that's what you stuck with for memorization, I encourage people to stick with that. Um, Probably the three best translations that you could use are the ESV, the New King James, and the NAS um, because they are the most closest to our vernacular. They're good in the translations and transliterations and the syntax, all the Greek and Hebrew syntax that are used. They're very fine. The New King James is my favorite. It's based on the majority text. I'm not going to get into textual things with you. But um, again... You know, King James, New King James, NAS, ESV. ESV is my least favorite of the three I would recommend in the vernacular. Um, One of the reasons I like a Bible in the vernacular is because that's a reform principle that God's word should be in the language we speak, not in an archaic language, which is why I prefer the New King James to the KJV. Although the KJV is a good translation, by and large. There are no unicorns, if you're reading Psalm 22. And and I was witnessing to a girl once, and she said, I didn't know they believed in unicorns in biblical time. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Got to get her an updated version. Um, But um, the NAS and the New King James are going to be the best, closest to the text, the NAS, the New American Standard, is based on the, the uh, UBS, um, which is uh, critical text. It's not going to m- make much of a difference to you to know this, but you have two predominant texts, the majority text, the critical text. New King James is going to follow the majority text. NAS is going to follow the critical text. They're both, I mean, there's no doctrinal difference. They're both very similar. The NAS is a little too wooden for me. I think it's, it reads too wooden. Um, let me let me see. A show of hands. Who reads Who reads the King James? Got a couple King James readers. Who reads the New King James? We need more. No, I'm just. <laughs> um, who reads the ESV? Good ESV. And who reads the NAS? I'm not going to embarrass you if you read any other translation. So, um... <laughs> but if you didn't raise your hand, I would pick one of those. Um... <laughs> So, I just wanted to do that kind of by way of preliminary introduction. I do think the best bet you're going to have on Bible Gateway is to listen to the ESV. That's what I do, just because it's the best audio translation I think they have in audio. So, I noticed in the church office there was these Holman Christian Bibles. Yeah, Holman, Holman's a good translation. Okay. Um, what, what about this T and IV? Yeah, let me think about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So any gender neutral anything, we just want to stay away from that. <laughs> um, the The Holman Standard Bible is actually a good is a, a good paraphrase. It's actually a better paraphrastic translation than the NIV, I think. Um, uh, you have others, Young's Literal. There's lots and lots of Bibles out there. The Holman's not a bad Bible. If you if you find the language of the New King James and the NAS too difficult, the ESV should probably suffice. It's a little bit smoothed out for, for um, a more general audience, and then Holman would be even more. But I think Holman would be a step below ESV. Um, so let's see. Any other questions at this point? Okay. If... Yeah, sure. So my dad studied... So the library we have at the church office, half that library was given to us by Milton Fisher. He's a Hebrew professor... was at Reformed Episcopal Seminary, and he was one of the main translators of that Bible. And he told me ten years ago, I repented of working on that because there were liberal scholars and conservative scholars that worked together, and there was a lot of, "Well, we'll give you this translation if you give us this." And there's a lot of downplaying. There's a lot of, um, there are a lot of places, especially in the Hebrew, especially in the Old Testament, where um, where uh, words like righteousness. Are turned into vindication and what happens is um, with the NIV especially a paraphrastic translation the translators are giving you what they think the text says it's almost more like a commentary in that sense is it helpful to read yes is it a good Bible to have in the sense of I'm looking for an undiluted you know you're never gonna have a one-for-one one with the Greek and Hebrew you're never gonna have a one-for-one one. it's the difficulty of languages Everybody's going to give you, to some extent, their sense. The New King James, the ESV, and the NAS, and the King James are called dynamic equivalents. It's the dynamic equivalent of what the scripture says, um, which is functionally saying this is as close as we can get to giving you an absolutely wooden interpretation. Sometimes when you look at the New King James, you'll see a word in italics. You'll see words in italics. Those words are not in the Greek or in the Hebrew. They've been inserted, so even there they're giving you the sense, but they're telling you, hey, we've inserted the word is here, so you know that's not in the Greek, but we think that should be there. The NIV doesn't do that, and what the NIV does is the translators gave you what they thought the text meant, and so that's why I find it less helpful. That, coupled with the fact that it was not all conservative scholars that worked on it, so... And that's why I think that the ESV has really come to replace the NIV in a lot of churches. It's just, you know, the NIV was the Bible of the church pews in the 80s and 90s, right? Mid-80s, came out in 84, I think. So mid-late 80s and then 90s, and it's really been replaced. And I'm thankful for that. I don't mean to, you know, if if you've been reading the NIV, that's okay. (laughs) Um, Other questions or comments at this point? Okay, so listen to the scriptures. Listen to them as often as you can. You're going to benefit immensely. Now, devotionals. I've already told you my favorite devotional is The Daily Light. And I don't have a copy here, but Crossway makes a really beautiful version of this. They also have it online on their ESV site. So if you type in ESV, Daily Light, you'll find Crossway's site. And they do it so every day it opens the morning and the evening devotional. You can see the morning here. I hope... So, they'll give you the scripture references that are going to be used, and then they'll give you the individual verses, and I'll explain to you the strength of this. I think that this is an incredible tool. Um, and then you can see the evening right below it. It's not maybe the best layout. If you got the Whitaker edition of the New King James Version of the Daily Light, um, it would give you all of the scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. It would give you all the scriptures for that day, and then they would put the references down the bottom. I prefer that, but whatever. That's a little nitpicky thing. Um, so what, what is the Daily Light? Why is it important? Uh, the Daily Light was written by a man named Samuel Bagster and his sons in the 19th century. Samuel Bagster was actually quite a scholar. He was a reformed publisher, book publisher, Um, If you go looking for some of his books, you'll find Greek lexicons. You'll find some very scholarly uh, linguistic tools that Samuel Baxter did. But this is kind of the pièce de résistance. This is what he and his sons did. And I think God has blessed this to such an extent for several reasons. One is that Samuel Baxter and his sons prayed over every devotional that they wrote. Before they wrote any of them, they prayed that God would lead them, would give them just the right scriptures to put in. They knew they only had, you know, six to eight scriptures that they would put in for every devotional. And they wanted it to be the most benefit to to people. The second reason I think that the Daily Light is so is such a strong devotional is that it was written by a man who was reformed, who was steeped in the Puritans, who really knew the tradition, who really knew his theology. And what you're getting as he puts scripture together is he is giving you a devotional. You just can't see it on the surface. He's teaching you, but you just don't see how he's teaching you. Thirdly, I think related to that, the strength of the daily light is that it forces you to have to work. And anytime you have to work in meditation is a good thing. It it teaches you you have to think. It's just not going to, here you go, spoon feeds you and you don't have to think about this. Um, and then, related to the previous point, I would say, also, you you learn so much good Christological theology from this. Um, for instance, I was reading The Daily Light as a New Christian every morning, and I think a lot of my understanding of Song of Solomon, which you know I've done a lot of work on, and the Christology of the song was really shaped by seeing how Samuel Baxter... Wove together scriptures having to do with um, the language of the Song of Solomon and other portions of scripture about Christ, and it really convinced me um, <clears throat> it really convinced me of a Christological interpretation. And then uh, finally, I would say the strength of this is that it teaches you how to do two branches of theology: systematic theology and biblical theology. Now, systematic theology is um, categorical theology so You might have a daily light that talks about um, the holiness of God. It might open, the Lord our God is holy. And then every verse under that has something related to the holiness of God in Scripture. And so it's teaching you how to gather Scriptures together and how to systematize Scripture. There are also devotionals that you'll find in the daily light where... um, where they teach you biblical theology. Biblical theology is how all of the scriptures are organically related and how they all center on Jesus Christ. So kind of the unfolding of redemptive history. I remember one I read as a, a new Christian that really impacted me in my understanding of scripture. And what I would do, and this is something I would encourage you to do, is when you go through the Daily Light, have your Bible open and be able to go to look at the context in which the verse is being used or found. That's really how I benefited the most. And I remember one time um, on one of the devotionals, it was about the temple and God dwelling in the temple in the Old Testament. And Baxter did this just wonderful stepping to Jesus being the true temple and destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And then the church being the temple and all that biblical theology of the temple in this very succinct devotional. So I think those are the major reasons why I would encourage you to use the daily light. Um, One other thing I like about it is that it does try to be purely biblical. Obviously, um, Baxter's trying to teach how these things go together. I wanted to show you just walking through today's. um, Let me back up here. So basically, he's going to give you a theme verse every devotional and that means every other verse that he uses in some way or another builds into that theme verse and that's that's how you're going to have to start thinking if you use this um, how how does how does this work this is the main thesis whatever verse he puts at the head every other verse in some way plays into that verse harmonizes with that or some part of it and sometimes you'll find these very complex devotionals that he does where they have a longer verse at the beginning with maybe two parts to it, and half of the verses he puts down here have to do with the first part, and the other half have to do with the second part. So you can see from this one, the opening verses. His commandments are not burdensome. First John 5:3, and then he steps to John 6:40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and then. He says in 1 John three twenty two, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So you can see how he's already starting to structure what does it mean that God's commandments are not burdensome. Number one, God's meant commanded us to believe on the Son. Number two, we have access to him and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we believe in him. And then obviously that great verse out of Matthew eleven thirty, where Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um... <clears throat> John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I won't finish it out. I just wanted to show you kind of how the structures go. sometimes um, the daily lights are better than others. I don't know how else to put that. Sometimes you'll glean a lot more, and some days they're just kind of, they don't feel as full and as rich. Sometimes that's because of our spiritual condition. And sometimes it's just because some of them are richer and fuller theologically than others. But ha- how many of you have read this? Have a copy? A few? Okay. And it's free on crosswalk. Crossway <clears throat> Crossway Book Publishers has it free on their ESV Bible site. It's crosswalk. Mm. crosswalk has it too. That's great. And it pops up today that's, it yep. So I would encourage all of you to start using that. When we come to family devotions, I'm going to encourage this as a really amazing tool. Next to the Bible, just reading through chapters and books, I think this is the best. All right. What non-purely biblical devotionals would I recommend or not recommend? If you have Jesus Calling, throw it away now. I'm sorry if that offends you. It is arguably the worst devotional you could read. There are a thousand better devotionals. Um, I said last week, and I'll stick with this if the devotional you're choosing is at this moment a new bestseller, it probably isn't the one you want to use. I don't know how else to tell you that lovingly. Watchtower. <laughs> The problem with Jesus Calling is that it's written by a woman who says she had a mystical experience, and Jesus told her all this stuff. So you want biblical, scriptural, Christ-centered devotionals. You want to know that this is God's word, not the experience of somebody out there that's just telling you they've had this experience. My utmost for his highest? Oswald Chambers is an interesting character. He was a He was a part of the Keswick movement, which is the higher life movement, um, mystical perfectionism. And so you have to be careful with some Oswald Chambers. For some reason, that book was catapulted into some sort of sphere of greatness in the 90s, and I'm not sure why. I find when I read Oswald Chambers that most of his devotionals don't make much sense. If they do, they have minimal value. So I, I tend to say, I think you can benefit from it. He does say some things that are helpful. I have benefited from things I've read by him, but it would, it would be low on the totem pole. Well above Jesus Calling. <laughs> well below other ones. So, um, yes? Um, what about morning, By Spurgeon. We're going to get to that. Anything by Spurgeon, you're going to be doing okay. David so, <laughs> Pardon? Daily Bread, let me go through a couple I recommend, because there's a lot, this is good, because what this is showing is there are a lot out there, and again, I don't say any of this to offend anybody, if you are reading Jesus Calling, and I know it's, it's widely popular even in the PCA, I took vows to protect you, so that's why, that's why I told you that. Okay, here we go. What would be my favorite non-purely biblical devotional? My favorite was Spurgeon's favorite, and uh, it was said of Charles Spurgeon that he often saw Jesus where he wasn't, and Spurgeon would say, well, I'd rather see him where he isn't than miss him where he is. I agree with that sentiment. Um, But Spurgeon said of this devotional that uh, Robert Hawker often sees Jesus where he he isn't. (laughs) So if Spurgeon, who's very Christ-centered, was charged with seeing too much Jesus in Scripture, And he charged this guy, you know this is Jesus-saturated. So this is a very Christ-saturated devotional. There are times when I think Hawker spiritualizes illegitimately, but I think the benefit that you get from this is just unsurpassed. It is one of the most heart-stirring devotionals. Anna and I read it from time to time, and any time we've read it, I've been stirred up to want to know Christ more. So it's called The Poor Man's... Morning and evening portions, the poor man's morning and evening portions. Robert Hawker was an Anglican, but steeped in the Reformed tradition and Puritanism, uh, much like J.C. Ryle. But you will get, especially on the Old Testament portions, you will get the most Christ-centered. I mean, here's one example as I have this up on the screen. You can see January 3rd morning, the year of my redeemed has come. And notice what he says, yes, from everlasting, the precise period of redemption was determined and the appointed time of the vision could not tarry. Every intermediate event ministered to this one glorious area, redemption by Jesus. The church was in Egypt 430 years and in Babylon 70. But we are told in the former instance, the same night the Lord brought them forth with their armies and the latter did not outstay the hour of their promised deliverance. So when the fullness of time was come, The Son of God came for the redemption of his people, and observe how graciously Jesus speaks of them. He calls them his redeemed. They were so in the covenant from everlasting, and when the time arrives for calling them by his grace, he claims them as the gift of his Father and the purchase of his blood. My soul, is this your jubilee year? Are you living as the redeemed of the Lord? If so, plead with your Redeemer for the holy renewed visits of his love to you and for the year of redemption to all his awakened. Every devotional he writes is like that. It is rich. He ties together the Old and the New Testament in Christ in a way I think is biblical. Um, I love how he asks the questions at the end. He always does that, and he'll ask his own soul, my soul, is this your jubilee year? Is this your year of deliverance? Um, One thing that you'll notice I just did when I read through that, I kind of translated. I took out the thous and the thys. I think that becomes a big hindrance for people. And so if you can just train yourself to read it in a vernacular, it becomes, and I do that, if Anna and I read it, I just modernize it as I go. And you get better as you do that. And if you hit words that you don't know, there's some antiquated language in some of the older devotionals, work through it, skip over it. You're going to get 90 something percent that's going to be very clear and understandable. All right, <clears throat> a few others. Um, Nancy Guthrie, who's, we've been using her books. Nancy's become a friend, think very highly of her work. Um, she has many good books. Our ladies are going through her Seeing Jesus in All the Old Testament series. Um, and she has a devotional that I want to encourage you to get. It's the one-year book of discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, and it is phenomenal. And it is short. I'll just show you. Can you all see that? I'll show you just one section so you can see how short it is. So here's January 1, before he made the world, and you can see how short that is. And she, like Robert Hawker, is going to be preeminently Christ-centered, which is the most important thing. Why? Because private devotion needs to lead us to feed on Jesus, right? And understand Christ and all the scriptures. So, I definitely recommend Nancy Guthrie's um, the one year book of discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. She's also got one for children, like for dinner conversations. So yeah. Yeah, that's great. She has she has one called Around the Table or one-year dinner table. And those are those are even shorter. And as Anna said, those are great for moms, especially working with their kids. Um, we've been asked, Lisa Beth mentioned Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, evening by evening, morning by morning, evening by evening. Um, I definitely recommend this. Um, Spurgeon, for those of you that don't know, is the Prince of Preachers, uh, 19th century Calvinistic Baptist, one of the greatest Preachers that ever lived, great theologian. Um, you can't go wrong with Spurgeon. Sometimes he doesn't stick to the text as closely as maybe he should, but you're going to benefit immensely. And you can see how short that is. And this is a new edition um, that you can buy. And I recommend buying all these through Westminster Theological Books, wtsbooks.com. Um, I'm trying to see who published this. Crossway did, so I would definitely recommend Spurgeon, along with Nancy Guthrie, and The Daily Light. Now, there are others that we could talk about. I'm going to talk about two as we close, and uh, this is called The Valley of Vision. It was, it's a compilation of different Puritan prayers. You will not be told who wrote the prayers, which is the only weakness I feel with this, is that I wish I knew which Puritans wrote it. The Valley of Vision is incredible. It's incredible for stirring up devotional meditations. Um, It's a little bit like reading um, psalms that were written in the New Testament. It's the best way I can put it, is they're going to pull together the whole of the theology of scripture, um, and they're going to read much like psalms do. So it's going to help your prayer life. I recommend the Valley of Vision. I need to read it more. Let me read to us just one short one. Um, well, read us the Trinity: Three and One, One and Three. God of my salvation, Heavenly Father, Blessed Son, Eternal Spirit. I adore Thee as being One, One Essence, One God in three distinct persons. For bringing sinners to Your knowledge and to Your kingdom, O Father, You have loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, You have loved me and assumed my nature, shed Your own blood to wash away my sin, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, you have loved me and entered my heart, implanted their eternal life, revealed to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons in one God I bless and praise thee, for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty, to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank you that in fullness of grace you have given me to Jesus to be his sheep, jewel, portion. O Jesus, I thank you that in fullness of grace you have accepted, espoused, bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank you that in fullness of grace you have exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, made me one with Him forever. O Father, you are enthroned to hear my prayers. O Jesus, your hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, you are willing to help my infirmities, to show me your need, to sub- to show me my need to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. O triune God, who commanded the universe, you have commanded me to ask for those things that concern your kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into the threefold name. You can see how rich that is as a devotional that you could take with you through the day. Um, the last thing I'll say, and we're running out of time, um, I would encourage you to make the Psalms a staple in your devotional reading because what benefit you might derive from the Valley of Vision, you're going to get vastly more from the Psalms that are directly, immediately inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Psalms are an inspired hymn book together with other portions of the Old Testament, but they are also an inspired devotional. And Calvin said that they... um, that they, were the soul, they showed the soul, the soul of the believer, that they touch to the very depths of our experiences and our souls. So, questions or comments? Do you want to comment on daily bread? Not really, <laughs> just because we're out of time. <laughs> I, I find the daily bread minimally valuable. I, I would choose one of these. Shallow. I didn't say shallow. <laughs> said minimally valuable. That's a much more political way of saying shallow. <laughs> Anything else? Questions, comments? Table Talk Magazine. How could we forget Table Talk? Especially articles by Nick. No, I'm just playing. Um, table Talk Magazine is incredible. It's, it's an absolutely incredible resource. You're going to get the deepest theology in very manageable portions They go through a whole book of the Bible, as Jeff Loomis pointed out a few weeks ago. They write devotionals for every day of the week through a book of the Bible, and they have great articles by theologians and pastors, and so Table Talk's really, really helpful. Anything else? Anything else you've benefited from? I'm I'm hesitant to bring this up, but the invitation of Christ. Yeah. I would probably not encourage someone to read The Imitation of Christ unless they were already well-versed in scripture. I think there's benefit in Thomas a. Kempis, but for someone that, that is not very mature in the scriptures and very grounded in Reformed theology, I would say I'd be cautious recommending it just because it has a mysticism to it. But practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence, there's benefit to those books. There's benefit to Thomas a. Kempis, and, and he had a Kempis. Is considered by some scholars to be a a pre-reformer so there are elements of what you'll find in reformation theology in him but there's there's also some mysticism which you know anything else again these are all just my opinions you guys may have found other books that are incredibly helpful so i just want to encourage you to be using good devotionals um in your private worship so let me pray for us and we'll prepare to worship Father, thank you for giving us such an amazing armory of resources throughout church history. Thank you for the labors of men and women who have gone before us, who have poured out their lives in service to provide us with teaching tools. And we thank you above all for the Holy Spirit and for the scriptures. We thank you that we have an anointing from the Holy One and we know all things and that you teach us and that You open our minds and hearts, and Father, we pray that you would open our minds this morning and that you would enlarge our hearts in the knowledge of you. We pray that our worship would be pleasing in your sight, both private and family and public. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be present with us and that we could feed on you flesh and blood today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.